Oh my God. It's the new Utah podcast. We are here. We're live tonight. You won't hear that us was live. Loud. I just barely turned it up. It's party music. Oh. I, I fixed the cables, I think, finally, officially. Uh, we are, are cable free. Not cable free. There's a lot of fucking cable. <laughs> What are these things in front of me, then? We're cable fixed. Uh, it is the New Utah Podcast. It is episode 155, which is uh, one episode shy of 156, which would be our... <laughs> that would be our three-year mark. Three-year mark. Ne- are we even doing... We're not even doing anything special for three years. Jess is bringing us some crystal and leather. Isn't that, th- that what we decided <laughs> it was? Crystal and leather? That's what we decided three years is. Jess is we like... Shake- that? Jess hasn't learned yet after three years that she can't just shake her head yes or no <laughs> for a podcast. I can, actually. You I just did. did. <laughs> but no one knew what you were doing except for the people that looked at you. So for most things, three years is nothing. But in podcast world, that's like... Fuck, we're like ancient. Ancient. And still no one listens to us. It's amazing. It's weird how that works. <laughs> <laughs> Except that would be a lie. Um, we have lots of amazing listeners. Eh, I don't know about amazing. We have lots of listeners. <laughs> don't don't slam our listeners. I don't know about lots. <laughs> we have uh, Peter. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Peter, for sticking it out. And Josh. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Josh. And Steve. Thanks, Steve. And James. Thanks, James. Does James actually listen? James Feller does. Oh. Not your cousin. <laughs> no. Cousin James doesn't give a fuck. We use his house and he still doesn't want to listen. I don't blame him. He hates me. So. No, he doesn't. <laughs> oh, man. It's been a fucking week. And and it's only Tuesday. It's, yeah, it's only Tuesday. And I'm. And it's been a whole week for reals. It's my brain does not. I'm not. I'm going to phone it in, folks. I apologize. I'm, it is going to be very much a Chris phoned in sort of episode. Um, so I'll try to keep people on track and then tune out. Uh, I'm just fucking brain dead. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Uh, Jeremy is the other male voice. Uh, there will be another male voice later that's a guest that we'll talk to. Um, then, then there's the lovely Bree. She's one of the female voices. I'm the one that's always eating. That's the, that's the one with food in her mouth. And then the, the one that shakes her head instead of talks, that's Jess. Yes, that is. <laughs> There's the other voice. That's that's it. So now you know the four of us. Uh, now we can continue with the show. Uh, if you've stuck it out for these three minutes. Yay. Um, you're halfway you, there. You, yeah, <laughs> you're not even close to halfway there. Um, My math might be a little off. Yeah. I mean, now we got 15 minutes of us How talking How do you do that, about, being an architect and all? <laughs> we got uh, about 15 minutes of us talking about total bullshit before we get into real stuff. Um, I don't know. Let's see over under on how much bullshit we're going to talk about tonight. There's a lot of news. We've got a guest, so that usually keeps us a little bit more on track. Yeah, there's a lot of news. Well, the first thing I want to ask is uh, about the bees, because uh, I got to participate, as did Bree, in acquiring... And I just watched. ...unceremoniously dumping them. Like, it, <laughs> I don't know... It's like, really, is you just, like, dump, dump them. them. It's like, shake them and everything. I don't know what I expected out of that whole thing. Like... I mean, it was kind of cool to see the boxes of the bees, and they were really calm because it was early in the morning. By the time we got them to your house, it was warming up, and they'd been driven around in your truck a little bit, so they were probably agitated a tiny bit. Once we started smoking them, and you went to start removing the feeder, they got freaking lively fast. Yep. And then they were all over the place. Like I've... That's why I handed you the, the face mask. I'm like, you're going to want this. Yeah, and I was in shorts and a t-shirt. It was t-shirt funny because Heather no just gloves. kept going, 
You probably want to back up a little more. <laughs> you probably want to back up it a little more. Like, it didn't bug me at all, even when they landed on me. It just kind of shook them off a little bit. They were... That was... Like, I bet it would terrify the fuck out of anyone because that was a that lot. was a swarm it's yep. five thousand bees literally swarming yep and they with come no direction fast. the good news is they had no direction so they didn't yeah. know attack these motherfuckers they just were like where the hell what are we yeah. where, do we just fly off i don't understand what my job is Yeah, because so. we're placing them so they're not territorial yet or at least they weren't at that point so they kind of not are not sure what to do so there's a lot of them but as long as you stay calm it's like it's like when you happen upon a carcass in the woods and there's a ton of flies. <laughs> they're annoying, but they don't really they're not doing anything to you. Kind of like that. They throw up on you if they land on you, but that's what they do. It's how flies interact with things. They throw up on it. Um, but it was interesting because Bree was like, "Well, uh, even as we were starting to leave, as we were looking at the." At the monster onions you had that wintered. Um, <laughs> they look like they've been there all summer. I feel um, like if you pulled those out, they'd be the size of my head. I'll pull one soon and see. Yeah, Heather was like, you should just pull one now. Just to see. But Bree said that the bees had already started to like move back towards the hive. By probably 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock-ish, they were all out of the box. So I took the box out and set it up, up on the deck, and they were relatively calm however because there was honey left over the that bee food that i left out they haven't touched it yeah what the which, fuck do they care which is good i mean that's a good thing because there was some honey left over there was a lot of honey left over so. when you were pulling that out there was a lot of honey yeah like i'm what? surprised you gave it to them you should have kept it i debated but i, I think it, it's best for them to start with it, it gives them a, it gives them a head start a big head start so that's why i decided to just leave it in there so so we'll see. So I did check. So your queen's all out? Well, I checked on Sunday and she but was closed. But you did not cut out the royal jelly for me. I'm I really didn't. disappointed. I, <laughs> I couldn't really ask while we were dumping bees. That was not. Yeah, not the time. No. So yeah, the little marshmallow we put in there when I checked on Sunday, there was less than half of it left. And then I just, I meant to get back out there, but last two days have been crazy. So tomorrow morning, that's on my list is to get out there first thing. Oh, you got to go take the thing out because it'll be completely in they've case already now. started doing it yeah. he said so in sunday they'd already started to encase yeah it'll be completely the does the queen stay in there nope. then oh nope. they just encase it so that it nope. yeah she comes out and then anything that they can't get rid of they'll encase so like if like a mouse died in there they would they would seal it to the wall or the floor completely wow so anything that they can't deal with or get rid of that's in their way. They're like, here's some wax, motherfucker. Don't affect us. They'll just seal it in. So, yeah, they, if I don't get it out, that little box, the problem is they'll seal it in completely. And then when I do pull it out, I run the risk of it taking out a big chunk of, of honeycomb. Of the comb. And, that we, and where that's at, that's the comb that usually they'll put all their babies in yeah, anyway, right? Yep, yep. So that's why I, I need to get in there the next day. It is interesting that they do that so centrally, and they don't move them over to the ends where the holes yeah, aren't. the ends are honey. So but all central where the holes are. Is, oh right, right, right. So all of the high, all of the bars will have some honey at the top. The top, sure, sure. sure. A few rows will have honey, but the outside edges are the ones that they store for later. So those are the ones that are just completely packed with honey. So hopefully, since they got a good head start, August, late July, early August, maybe I'll have a harvest this year. So we'll see. excellent. Yeah, that was kind of fun dealing with that last time. Anticlimactic that there wasn't the truck though. <laughs> Yeah, but that's okay. I'm just guessing not as many people are doing bees. I'm guessing because of, one, the cost. I mean, it's not a 
It's not a huge expense, but it is expensive. And if you're setting up for the first time and getting all of the stuff, that's expensive. But in years past, I've gotten there when the semi truck was there, and there's like I don't know, ten, fifteen pallets full of bees. So, so how much honey do you typically get? We get probably on average eight to ten quarts. And how much does a quart of honey go for at the store? If you buy like the the good stuff, yeah, the good stuff, like the the Whole Foods, like real honey, ten to twenty five dollars. So you're not really making a savings too much because you're because you let's let's say you get ten quarts and you're paying 100, 150 bucks for the bees anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you're doing it for the money, one hive's not going to do it. If you're doing it for the money, you need tons, fifty, sixty hives. If you're doing yeah. it for an income. But if you're doing it at that level, you're not buying bees. You, you, you're splitting your hives and you're working yeah. it so that, yes, you're up front, you're going to buy a few, but you're working it so that you're... How do you split hives? So if you take, so if you take, let's say, so mine, let's say you took five bars out of it and make sure the queen is not in it. Take those five bars, put it in a new hive. Once they realize the queen's gone, they'll produce a new one. Oh, so you just take all the bees out of it? Yeah, just take... Whatever bees come with it. Mm -hmm. The the thing you have to be careful of, though, is you can't do it too late in the season, or they can't. Because they'll just die off. Yeah, so it needs to be relatively early in the season. So if I was going to split the hive we just set up, I would need to do it probably no later than July. And that's what I would do. So once they've got to where there's, say, 20 bars full of bees, I would take four or five of those bars, move it into a new hive. Within one to two weeks, they will have created a new queen. And as long as she takes, because I, I did that. I, I That's did how that. you made your second hive? Mm-hmm. My second hive a few years ago is I took took them out and they created their own queen and they... No more second hive now. Yep. No, that windstorm we had two years ago that... Really effed up the Took hive. it, took my wind... My your trampoline. Trampoline, right my windmill. Yeah, that was a doozy. Of course, now there's an entire subdivision behind me. We don't get as much wind. That's... We nice. have an actual wall behind you now. And the big block wall. So, hey, I guess there's a bonus. Uh, well, the nice thing is, is you only have a one-level house behind you instead of the two-level houses. That's true. Because there's a couple of those in the neighborhood that yeah. are massive. Well, and they're going to love the bees. So, Well, hopefully. And if they don't, if they're gar- oh, well. If they're garden people, they absolutely will, yeah. though. Well, and if they don't, oh, well, because you have them. So. And if they're garden people, you'll love that they're garden people because their garden will help. They're mm-hmm. grandfathered because you already have them, right? Yep. Bees yeah. and chickens. Yep. Because otherwise you wouldn't be able to put them there. They're too close to their structure, probably. Because it would be 50 feet. Yeah. Same from my house, I'm fine. But from there. But from that house, which is right on my backyard, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, but it doesn't matter because you already have them. Also, the chicken coop looks fantastic. Thank you. With all of my upgrades. Yeah, I like the little lettuce boxes. Oh, and we did lose a chicken yesterday. Was it the old one that Heather was like, that one's looking like it's ready to go? Yep, we called it. (laughs) She was spot on, man. That wasn't even a a couple days. That was Saturday. After having them long enough, you just, they get that look and you're like, uh. That one's going to go soon. Do they attack them when they die or do they just. Yeah, you got to get it out of there or they'll, they'll peck at them, so. They'll kill them, like peck them to death, like. Yeah, they're already dead. Yeah, they'll, but they'll, yeah, they'll pick at them. So you got to make sure you get them out. But we're in there every day, so we, yeah, it's not like you leave them unattended for long. No, so when, yeah, when we lose a chicken, we get them out of there. So now that there's no rooster, even the kids can go in there. Do you compost your chickens? No, garbage can. So. Do you at least put it in like a bag so yes. your garbage can? So I keep sleep? the food bags so that we will wrap them in the food bags. 
I used to bury him. The problem with that is I bury him, and within two to three days, somehow the neighbor cats and dogs get I've to him. Up. Dig him up, and then there's there's Mrs. Fluffy Pants spread all over my backyard the next day. So I stopped burying them. Yeah, there's no re- there's no reason to bury them. Just throw them away. Yeah, you can't eat them. They're not good eating. No, egg laying chickens are gross. Now in an apocalypse, I fucking eat it. I don't oh, yeah. care. Well, if you had to, well, or if you made like stew or broth out of them, they're fine. But to yeah. to just eat, unless you had to, that's a lot of damn work though to make broth out of a chicken. Sure is. Of course, with the Instapot, it would cut that time in half. No, it wouldn't, because all of the time is the fucking feathering and skinning and True. cleaning. Like, True. That's the time. True. So if you're not going to keep the skin, you don't have to feather it. This has been Urban Farm Talk. <laughs> Can we talk about sushi? Yep. Because I want to talk about sushi. So Heather, Jeremy's wife, bought for him. Did we decide, was it for your anniversary or Father's Day a year ago? I don't ago? remember, because they're, they're within a month of each other. Yeah, so at some point last year, she bought a sushi-making class, and uh, she asked a few of us, hey, do you want to do this with Jeremy? He doesn't know about it yet. And then we never did it. <laughs> we all bought the class, but we never actually went. Uh, and so she arranged it, and we ended up, because they screwed up on the reservation, normally it's a class at Blue Marlin of 32, I think, or 36. Something like that. Um, and so instead what they did for us is a special class with just the, just the six of us that went, uh, which was really cool because then it was just six of us one-on-one with the sushi chef. and Soy. was that his name? Soy. Soy. Yep. Yeah. Like Soy. the sauce. Yep. Jeremy sucks at sushi rolls. <laughs> <laughs> or doesn't, as uh, the case may be. I mean, the bottom of that thing was pretty open. <laughs> I I over- but he had a lot of crap. Yeah, he overstuffed it. And it was good. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a fun little experience, and I want to go back there and and, uh, and try some of their sushi. Blue Marlin, it was. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we get to because Chris oh, yeah, won, uh, oh, yeah. won the contest, and we so we have a gift card. He had the nicest roll. That's right. I think it came down to Carissa's artistry and Chris's knife, knife cuts. Yeah. Those knives, I got to say, were horrible, though. They yeah, were they were awful. Uh, Jess, I understand that you are back on the cake-making bandwagon. Back on the cake wagon. I saw some cupcakes. Yep. For something. I don't remember what. They had purple on them. Yes, they did. They were pretty cool. They were for a return customer, a favorite customer, you said? Uh, I think I've been making cakes for him for like five years. So it was a man. Was that a cake that went with the cupcakes with the, the glitter, or was it that that one was just cupcakes? That was just four dozen cupcakes. Four dozen cupcakes. For, a lot of cupcakes. for Mother's Day? Mm-hmm. Did he give them to his mom? No. He gave them to his boyfriend's mom. What kind of fucking son is that? <laughs> I got four dozen cupcakes, mom, but fuck you. Give I don't even the... know if his mom is in Utah, actually. My mom's not, so I didn't even say happy Mother's Day to Yeah, her. he didn't even wish her happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I'm Okay, look. I was looking on Instagram and Facebook, and I was seeing all the sappy Mother's Day posts like Jess's and Bree's and my daughter's. And I, all I could think was... My daughters don't make any sappy posts. No, you did. And your mom did. Yeah, that's not my daughter's. Yeah, well... <laughs> But anyway, I was like, you know, my mom wasn't much of my mom. She's probably getting a happy Mother's Day for my brother. That's enough. Bree was Bree's still really like flabbergasted by it. I feel like she gave birth to him. At least he could say his happy Mother's I Day. I fucking did that for like thirty something years. 
I can take a year off. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> Did you do anything? She's not my mom. Oh, you went up to fucking Ogden, didn't you, Jess? Yep, I sure did. You gonna talk about Big Boy? Nope. Why not? I don't know. Because your guys' weekend was way cooler. I don't know about that. Big Boy had to have been pretty fucking cool. Was it, like, super busy up there? Um, Not the day that I went, because I didn't go on Saturday. <laughs> well, so Saturday was the day it rolled in, did it? Was it? No, it actually rolled in on Thursday. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So why was Saturday? Is that, was that the actual anniversary? No, Friday was the actual anniversary. So why was Saturday so busy? Because nobody works on Saturday. Oh. So when did you go, Sunday? No, I went on Friday. Oh. So you went on the actual anniversary, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that busy? Nope. Was it in the middle of the day, or yes. was it in the evening? No, it wasn't during the day. Oh, that kind of makes sense, but still. Did you see him doing the reenactment stuff? No, that's up at... Um, Promontory. Prom, yeah, Promontory. 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 Prom. Yeah, the Jupiter's up at Promontory Point. It's up at Prom Point. Didn't they make a copper spike as a commemorative thing, a copper spike? I have no idea. I thought I read that somewhere that they made a copper spike. Whatever. But the so how cool was the steam engine? I'm not a big train guy, but I gotta imagine it was pretty cool. Yep, it was pretty cool. How cool? You're not a steam engine person. Why would it matter? I don't know. (laughs) Well, because some of our listeners might be. (laughs) Uh, Because you're not selling it. Like I should have been there. Like I missed out. You did. Everybody that didn't go missed out. It was amazing. I don't. And there's two trains there. That's true. The 844 and the 4014. Oh, I don't know the difference. One of them was called Big Boy. That's um, one of them was going east and one was going west, right? No, they had them parked both, back to oh, back. Darn. They both came from They did. <laughs> they did when they brought them in originally on Friday. But um, no, the 8, this is the first time that the 4014 has been operable in they, like 60 years. Did they fire them up? On Friday at all? Uh, I think before we were there because standing next to them. They were real hot. They were super, super hot. So we got there. They So what they did on Friday was it was called a, a active and static displays. And the active, you were allowed to get on the train. Oh, but really? we got there. We were like the sixth person behind the closed like rope. So. in the engine? Mm-hmm. Just like walk, cool. just like go in the one side and kind of check it out and go out the other side? No, just in and then back did out anyone, the same way. Did anyone poop on it? Because I'm telling you, the cabooses that they stick at parks, they people poop in those. Well, there wasn't a caboose, so... <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if they pooped in the engine, if there was an engine there, because it's almost like well, you I wouldn't, have to poop I in. wouldn't know, because you were sixth from where they cut the line off, uh, so... Assholes. Did you say, I'm with the new Utah podcast, motherfuckers, you should let me in here. I should have. <laughs> just like that. That's how you gotta say it. You say motherfucker, it's authoritative, and they just let you do what you want. <laughs> no, but we had some great conversations with some of the engineers that have been working on it because they Union Pacific bought it in 2013, yeah. and they've been restoring it ever since, and who, they still have a long it? way to go. So who had so, it before, like a private? Yeah, did somebody? Yeah, here. it's just been sitting in Cheyenne for Jimmy. like 60 years. <laughs> so it. it was built in I, the it was built in the 40s. I thought it was I thought it was like down in Arizona or California or something. And they so moved they're it to Cheyenne so they're, and restore it. So there are eight of them. There are eight of this particular model. Model, uh huh. And um, this particular one was in Cheyenne. And then the eight forty four runs all the time. Um, they use it for movie shoots. And the difference is seventy five miles versus forty three miles an hour. So that's a big difference. Yeah, but they're both. It's pretty incredible to stand next to them. 
It's massive. Yeah. My how far technology is. But come. it's it was well it was cool because the F thirty fives are out flying too over our heads and just I mean I don't know a lot about trains except for my grandfather lost most of his fingers to a train cart, <laughs> but um, like seeing people be really excited about it that was really cool. Was it just the engine, or did it have cars on it too? Um, the eight forty four had some cars, and I think that the forty fourteen had a car on it. And then, like at the back of one of them, was like tons of um, passenger, like Union Pacific train cars that people could tour. So that's cool. I don't know. It was it was the kind of a big deal because I made my mom go with me, and she doesn't like to be around people at all like around crowds or anything and did so she enjoy it though did she have a good time i hope so <laughs> just, <laughs> snuck a, just snuck a picture in that i was, think it yeah. looks like she's waving and not she's trying to brush off the camera definitely not <laughs> so that's not what it looks like so it like makes the picture look good yes she's like hi yes, I'm just that's why mom. i like it yeah that's what it looks like yeah no she doesn't like her picture being taken so i just snapped it, it quick her soul? no Self-esteem issues. Gotcha. If I'm being honest. <laughs> no, it stills are sure. Let's go with that. Yeah. That's why pets don't like it. I ever told you about my, my buddy Brian's dog? No, I don't think so. He knows when you're going to take a picture of he him. He even knows about phone cameras. Like you, you turn your phone like you're going to take a picture with it, and he hides. He hates pictures. I actually caught a picture of him, and Brian was like, you need to send that picture to me because I cannot get pictures of him. That's funny. Well, uh... So that all happened. It was a busy weekend. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's been crazy. What's going to... I mean, it's it's spring. There's a lot of stuff starting to happen. What's going on this week and the next week? For events or just in general? Well, I mean, events are in general, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, yes. So. I mean, I'm going to be awake, but I wouldn't <laughs> call that an event, and I don't think people care. At awake or awake? No, just awake. Not at awake. I was at awake last last week, someday. It was a funeral. It wasn't. A, we didn't stay for the wake. No, the, the was funeral wasn't week. Sunday. Two weeks ago. It was. It doesn't matter. Someone bring it. It was died. during the week. One of Bree's family members died. My great aunt. No, my great. No, my second cousin. Second cousin. Yeah. It was my great aunt's daughter. Whatever yeah. that is to me. There were a lot of deaf Mexicans in that church too like because they're all mexicans the whole family and it's and it's and it's a range of very hispanic european like spanish iberian peninsula european to uh walked off the reservation and then everything in between wow like the i mean because the family's quite the family has a lot of deep native american spanish and mexican in the blood like there's no Northern European in that family, <laughs> except for the Mormons that they married, <laughs> like some of the people married, but like all the older people, they're all very, very, very Mexican, very Spanish. So anyway, it's enough talking about Bree's Mexican family. Love me Mexicans. You just like making fun of us. I love me some Mexicans. <laughs> I'm like, what's the opposite of racist towards Mexicans? Because I love Mexicans. What's the opposite? Idea. <laughs> I don't. You have a computer in front of you. Google it. Yeah, Google it. Okay. Wh while you tell events, maybe I'll interrupt less and tell. Because you'll have something answer. to do. Yeah. All right. So this weekend, the sixteenth. I got to power through them. 
So like you want me to power you. through that? <laughs> no, so um, I don't interrupt you. The you haven't really like truly interrupted me for a long time. So um, the cold podcast live at the Eccles, four p.m., eight p.m. I haven't I didn't check on tickets today to see how many were left, um, but hopefully they have a really great turnout. Because is this the second time they've done it, or is this this is the first still time? The first, first and only. Oh, so it's uh, twenty four dollars. Um, like well, the ticket range is twenty four to eighty dollars, and um, the four o'clock one, if you can go is like a dress rehearsal versus like the eight o'clock one. Um, it's a good opportunity if you're interested in the podcast to hear um, people like the detective from West Valley. Susan's sister is going to be there. People that um, have played part of the podcast and didn't necessarily play part of the podcast will be participating. Um, also, this coming up weekend is Living Traditions Festival, and I'm a little skeptical because it's supposed to rain all weekend. Yeah, they're calling for rain. And I really want to go because they, they're bringing in new countries, which means more delicious food. So hey. yep, the street's been closed off so all week, I've, like all last weekend this week. By the library. I have not been able to find the answer to our question about anti, <laughs> like the opposite of Mexican racism. Like, Did you just type in opposite of racist? Opposite of Mexican racist. Well, maybe you should just try or, opposite of racist I tried first. A, I tried a bunch of terms. I also tried how to love Mexicans or what is a person that loves Mexicans called. You're going to have like some weird virus on your computer. Well, I found a site that is Mexican dating rules. <laughs> 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 and it's got like Mexican gender roles, Mexican flirtation, Mexican displays of affection. I'm wondering if this is a racist site. Well, you it's know what's not racist? Healthguidance.org. The Slug Brew Stillery event no. that's on the 18th. And you can get drunk there. You can. And I have information for you because you asked last week about the cups. Big Boy Servings is in the notes. It says Big Boy <laughs> Servings. That means a full <laughs> cup of beer. Hey, are you ready? So John John Ford, who's community manager for Slug Magazine, said that it's a 14-ounce mug, and they do both 4-ounce tasters and 12-ounce full pours in it. Um, and then the distillery cocktails are all up to 9 ounces. But he said the cocktails vary, but they're all about right there. And then he said the distilleries are also offering half-ounce taster shots. So there you I go. like the four ounce flights a lot. Um, Twelve ounces in a fourteen ounce cup. You know who's doing things. flights this month? Dairy Queen with Delta. blizzards. I saw that, and I'm such a fat <laughs> ass, but I really want one. Their s'mores blizzard is my most favorite, and they brought That's it back. Good. And there's one right next, like within walking distance of my house. And I'm like, I can't go over there. The only close Dairy Queen to us really sucks. So it's the only Dairy Queen I've ever been to where they don't turn the blizzard upside down when they make it because oh, it's so that. fucking shitty. Like it's never frozen. If they did, they'd just dump them all over the counter. So, yeah, I'm disappointed. Now, the Cedar City Dairy Queen, both of them are fantastic. You should come to them by my house. They turn upside down every time. I don't want to do that. I'll fucking get the shot. Cedar City one, like, they turn it upside down while they're talking to you. They you didn't see that? Mountain. Did you see the fucking guy that got shot for, like, I don't even remember what it was. I saw some guy got shot over by your house yesterday. It was probably in Saratoga Springs. What's the same place? <laughs> Dairy Queen always knows. It was over something stupid, too. I'm going to look it up while you continue with events. do that. (laughs) So the 25th, our friends at Olio are bringing back some classes, and they are starting with Intro to Dry Brushing. Excuse me. Um, (laughs) Intro to Dry Breasts? No, that's not what I said. (laughs) That is so what you started to say. It's not, but I'm glad you heard that. Anyways, it's fifteen dollars. There are still places available, and I just want to say that my aunt used their dry brush 
um, one of their oils on the oatmeal soap, and it actually took away her eczema. So fuck, I love their soap so much. <laughs> awesome. I don't use anything else. Uh, anyways, fifteen dollars. Just go to their website under education, and you can sign up for that class. Then also on the twenty fifth, our friends from last week, the Front Row Film Roast, have their Sam Raimi Spider Man roast at Brewies. Those guys were hilarious. Tickets are twelve dollars, and we it is twenty one and up. Or we'll be in Vegas, but. I would go to that probably otherwise. She well, said she'll do. She'll be doing more because I I liked it, and then I realized what the dates were, and and so I posted that we would meet wouldn't be there, and she said they'd be doing more. Excellent day. I thought you meant the film roast. We are having two different conversations right now. No, do you want me to stop? No, I, I did mean the film roast. Oh, oh, you talked about you were talking about earlier. I did mean the film roast. I really wanted to go see that. They're They'll both the same weekend. Yeah, well, they do film roasts every, the last Saturday of the every last, month. The next one's going to be Indiana Jones. What film are they doing this time? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. What did are you, the husband you, and wife leaving, though? Did you listen though? to her? She just said it out loud like five seconds ago. Mm, I didn't hear. When are really? the husband and wife leaving, though? Aren't they moving? The end of summer, they said. Yeah. So, it, it will it end then? Will they not do anymore? I don't we know. Didn't ask them. We should have asked. We had them in this room. I know. I kind of avoided it because I didn't want to like point out that they were moving. But you didn't maybe that's why they're having sad. classes so they can teach people. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe they'll pick up other. What's his name? The, the guy that was sitting over there. He didn't Craig. start with them. Craig. He was new. He didn't start with them. That is true. He found. Hey, you guys are cool. It's but they gotta get. A, they gotta have at least one woman. Otherwise. They well, if you go look through their pictures, they have quite a few people that participate. So, yeah. um, also next weekend, um, Chris, I thought you would think this was cool—a miso soup class at Ocean Mart. I have some miso in on the 90th South. I thought it was cool. They were doing classes. Where the fuck are they doing classes there? That place does not have a class space. Probably over in the cafe. There's space over there. That's not much space. I don't know. It's twenty dollars. Did we tell you about the time we went there and they didn't have a price entered in on an item yet because it was new and they just threw it aside and they were like, "No, because you don't tell me about anything." <laughs> <laughs> we go there and we're getting stuff, and I think well, we were oh, we were getting seaweed snacks for some ramen that we were making, and um, she rings it up. She tries to ring it up. She's like, "It's not in the system," and I went, "Okay." And she just fucking sets it behind her and keeps going. I'm like, and then gave us our bag. We need that. I I still. So we had to fucking walk back (laughs) and get some. Like, really? (laughs) It's crazy. So two other uh, quick events. 28th is the Liberty Farmers Market fundraiser kickoff. It's $40. I'll post the link to that. And the 30th is the Downtown Farmers Market. And that one's $50. So it's just a preview to both of them or, of the vendors that will be there. Or 90? Does that 90 get Two you tickets for $90 oh, versus damn. one ticket for $50. I thought if I paid 90 it got me like something special. You could ask. Just gets me another ticket. Dang it. You could ask, what, maybe. What all do they have at the kickoff? Am I getting like $50 in food? Uh, preview of the vendors. So food from the vendors, drinks, music, and then they do a silent auction. To get samples from the different vendors. Oh, see? There you go. Yeah. (laughs) That fucking place. I love... I can't wait. I'm really excited for the farmer's market. I'm going to go to Pike's Market. We are. Uh, I'm going to go to Pike's Market in Seattle in August. So, And it'll be on a Saturday. So I'm really curious to see... Because Pike's Market's like super famous. I'm curious to see how it compares because I think our market's fabulous. The the main Salt Lake City farmer's market. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the Liberty Market because... I've never been to it, but I'm curious how it compares. 
Because Salt Lake has some really amazing farmers. Probably markets. less fish throwing. Probably. <laughs> but I bet you that the Pikes Market in Seattle has a whole lot less fucking ranch meat. Like cows and sheep and probably ostrich. Seafood. Yeah. Well, I know there's a lot of seafood. Anyway, is that it? That's like a bunch of events in this. Jesus, that's a lot of fucking events this holiday weekend in two weeks. Yep. It's two weeks, right? Two weeks? Two weeks. weeks. This is the holiday weekend, yep. But we're, we're, we're right into the verge of summer. We're coming right into all of that summertime stuff. So You wouldn't know it if you tried to go hiking. I still can't go hiking. I saw a picture last week of uh, one of the one of the big trailheads in like the Provo Canyon that was still fucking snow up to the the marker. Well, we got yep. the mountains got snow this last weekend, didn't they? Like up high, but yeah, they and got, I bet they'll get snow this week too yeah. when it rains. Even though we hit eighty eight down the valley here today, it's still cold up in the mountains. So, well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, there's a lot of flooding going on. Too, Are you guys going to so. start doing your hikes again, or is that what you're waiting for? Well, well it's hard so he to was going to try this weekend, and I'm like, yeah, it's supposed to be pouring rain all weekend, and then we'll be in Vegas. So I'm hoping the week after three, Vegas. Yes. Yes. I'm dying. I'm dying. To you're go always you're always welcome to come, but I know Sunday mornings are your That's your private time. Farm day. That's when Jeremy communes with nature in his house. With the chickens, the bees, and the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's like the birds and the bees. It is. It is the birds <laughs> and the bees. Do you ever do you ever come away from it feeling like you got laid? <laughs> Myself? No. <laughs> <laughs> But I do enjoy my Sunday morning farm time. Sunday morning farm time is Jeremy's alone time. It's my alone time. So, <laughs> so I just want you to know that on Sunday, uh, Ryan Holiday, thirty-six, reported repeat reportedly confronted a thirty-four-year-old homeowner at a house near Witherspoon Courts a Court, according to Saratoga Springs Police Chief Andrew Burton. Ryan Holiday, this is in Bluffdale. And the no, guy no, no, shot no. him. It happened in Bluffdale, but he's a Saratoga Springs man. No, the Saratoga Springs cops help with Bluffdale. They're down there all uh, the time. Whatever. So, I'm just saying that's close to you, sort of, not really. Bluffdale? That's, like, right by me. Over a fucking landscaping job, the dude shot him. Like, what the hell, man? Like, I, I don't understand people. So, anyway. You're definitely not going to get the job now that you shot somebody. I know, right? So, the Kennecott Power Plant. Uh, is shutting down. Like the whole thing, whole thing's shutting down? Yep. Like that's the end, all she wrote? Yep. That's for good. They're finally turning it off for good. Um, I suspect because they can't keep operating it. So that's where your dad works, right, Jess? No, he oh, no, he hasn't been there for like oh, almost used, 20 years. He used to work there. Years. No, he worked, he worked at the smelter, but I was talking to him about this because I saw was the it was on our over, list. Was the smelter over by the power plant? Um, no. So the power plant, the smelter is on the north tip of Kennecott. Just the tip. Um, and then... Because the power um, plant is above Magna. Yes, the power plant is a little is further south, more like central in the mountain. Yeah, like if you go to Magna... But he did work there temporarily. So the smelter is like off a, right down. off of 201, yes. right by the turn Standing off the on Main there. Street Magna looking yes. up. That's, that's the power, power plant. plant. Yes. Ah, okay. Yep. So the mile... Okay, so I, this is... I'm just going to read this because we talk about Kennecott, but I don't think we've ever talked about like the actual dimensions. It's two and three quarter miles across, and it's three quarters of a mile deep. Like the mine? The mine itself. Each truck takes up 1,500 square feet. It's 29 feet wide and 51 feet long. That's fucking humongous. Um, Do you know where I, why he knows these facts? 
because some 12 year old kid decided to walk down into the mine. How the fuck did he get there? Uh, he from what, like West Jordan. Like how? Like that's what I don't know. 12 miles understand. away or something. How did he get in there? Like he, I don't know how he got in. 16 miles away. How he got into the copper. So he ran away um, and somehow got through the pass where they have like pass cards and all that kind of stuff and started wandering down the road. Honestly, those gates aren't exactly hard to no, get through. No, but then luckily those trucks are huge. Like I imagine like you can't see very well from them. Oh, it's no, not you're like they're fucking, street legal you're, or anything. You're, you're running over a kid if you fucking. Yeah. So luckily the guy like saw this kid walk and stopped and. Let's structure a two-story house on wheels. Uh, so it'd be like driving this house around. I can ask my friend Jason. He drives one of those trucks. I've I've gotten to to drive one of those trucks when I was a kid, actually, um, and not Kennecott's because we lived in Wyoming. But there's a big open open pit coal strip mine in Wyoming, uh, and they have similar trucks that are that fucking gigantic. So. Anyway, that's uh, that's interesting. Visitor center opens up, and then they like shut down the power plant, and twelve-year-old uh, boys are hanging out, <laughs> They're wandering the, around in the mine. Called in Lassie. Lassie would have found him quick. Whoop, whoop. What's There's that a boy, boy in the mine? Whoop, whoop. There's a boy in the mine. <laughs> well, that's impossible, Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an episode just happened right here. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks for printing the full color press release. That's nice, Jess. Um, so Bonanza camp out sadly, sadly has been canceled for the year. Um, they couldn't get their permits. They couldn't get alcohol permits. They couldn't get their operating permit, which was nobody can get an alcohol permit in the state. Oh shit. We'll talk about that too. Maybe, but, uh, Bonanza camp has gone on what since 2014, I think something like that. Um, it's a big giant music festival they have massive artists come a lot of hip-hop artists basically it turns into a giant like woodstock drunken woodstocky type party fest and they just fucking leave the land in shambles and lots of police problems lots of lots of lots of crime fortunately one of their headliners is now going to be playing salt city sound so that's cool yeah that's fantastic yeah i just saw that announced yesterday well, I'm sure they're trying to fucking deal with these contracts the best way they can so they don't have to pay out tons and tons of money. Because they signed, they had a lot of really big talent. talent yeah. That was supposed to come. Empire of the Sun is the one that they put at Salt City Sounds. So and, that's and, cool. And losing out on the ability to, to have these guys come kind of sucks. It's, it's really shitty that they didn't get their permits. But basically, um, it's uh, Wa- Wasatch Summit mm-hmm. County. Wasatch yeah, it's County. Up in Wasatch Mountains. Um, they said, "Yeah, no, you can't operate here because you guys are just going to fuck everything up." Uh, and the state said, "Yeah, we don't want to give you alcohol permit." And the the reality is, I think that's actually what it started with. The first news story that I saw was that they were having a a hard time securing that, and then it kind of just yeah. Snowballed. Well, without the alcohol permit, they probably wouldn't have been able to have it anyway because. That's where they're making all their money. They're not making their money by selling you a hundred dollar ticket to this festival. Not with all that talent. They're making it on alcohol sales. Um, so without uh, without the ability to sell alcohol or actually have a venue, that one of them there. It's just dumb because I mean it just sets up other musical f- festivals in Utah for failure. Yeah, it was really kind of disappointing because I was. I mean that was a, a pretty spectacular festival they were putting together. So. But we don't like to have fun in the state of Utah, it seems, sometimes. So, um, But when Snoop Dogg plays at the Galvin Center, holy shit, that fucking, like, six-block radius around <laughs> that thing smells like one giant fucking bong. We know that 
we know I was that downtown that night. Yeah, so I we, could smell the weed like the we drove past time it I was downtown, and I was like, "What the hell?" Because like contact high. Well, and then I watched some dumbass like almost get hit by a tracks train in, in front of six cops. The cops were just laughing at him. Like people are so stupid. I just don't. You should have. Uh, <laughs> big sigh. You were talking about the F-35s earlier and flying around. In <laughs> uh, how rad is this story, you guys? Well, it's not It's not really rad <laughs> it's at all. It's not rad, but that it happened it's in our of, backyard. It's kind of <laughs> fucked up. It's not surprising because we have a... a but a, why haven't a, a we wing. heard that? I mean, I'm glad that we haven't heard that this has happened more, but like... But why this hasn't is, happened this more? This is very like, you know, I don't know, James Bond movie-esque news story so there there was a guy oleg uh tashenko um has been arrested um wow that was some good pronouncing sometimes you can't say smith yeah i I skipped over the middle name is why (laughs) so anyway he was charged in a sealed indictment in july of 2016 i think Um, it's mikhailovich uh but he couldn't be arrested until this year because he traveled to georgia like a dumbass uh, and Georgia extradited him to Georgia, us. the country, not Georgia, yes. the state. Yes. <laughs> so, because Russia doesn't have an extradition treaty with the United States. Moreover, why would Russia extradite a dude that was stealing fucking F-16 manuals and giving them to the Russian government? They wouldn't. You know there are, like, federal agents, like, sitting outside this guy's jail cell. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He's, he's, a, he's a fucking spy. Yeah, yeah. And this is crazy that this shit still goes on. And it's not like the F-16 is a fucking amazing jet. I mean, it is. But it's like the workhorse. That's not in service. Yeah, well, and it was the workhorse for years. Mm-hmm. And Where do you get the manuals? they just like on a bookshelf somewhere? I mean, it's <laughs> like... <laughs> well, no, he, he clearly had access to them if he was getting them. And they, they you know, people have to learn to fly them. I don't know why they wanted the F-16 manual. Can they be that far behind? Apparently, it was the 16, the 35, the 22, and the A-10. Oh, so it was... And the the 35s are brand fucking new. So that's a big, big deal. Uh, and the Warthog's still in service. That's what's in your briefcase, sir? That is nothing in briefcase. Look away. So the question <laughs> is: the question is, did he actually <laughs> Boris? Did he actually get the manuals to them, or was he just trying to smuggle them? Don't you think they'd be electronic? So this Texas guy helped him. He got the manuals and then shipped them to Tushenko in Moscow. Oh fuck! So I hope, hopefully, the fucking Texas guy gets arrested too. Does it say? I didn't read that far. I've been really busy today. I only scanned this one because it was really long and I was trained to do it while I was trying to work he, at the same he time. He only wanted to get the manuals yeah, no, to was, understand how things work. He was indicted along with Tashenko, but District Judge uh, Dale Kimball in 2017 signed an 18-month deferral of prosecution agreement, probably so they could get the Tashenko guy. Um, but that's that's a big deal. That's fucking treason. That's absolutely treason on the part of the Texas dumbasses. Uh-huh. This quote, we need it in our work, he said. I'd like to get some maintenance manuals. Oh, because he identified himself on eBay as a video game developer. So. Wow. They needed, they needed help to, they needed to develop flight simulator games. That were realistic. Apparently. I feel like they used to have games like that in the like late 80s, early 90s. All right. Um. So, uh, someone want to talk about this trail building kid in Lehigh? It's a scout thing, so I thought Jeremy might have put this story in because he loves the scouts so much. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> it's, well, 
I I don't remember if this was one I put in or not, but basically this kid for his Eagle Scout project, he built a trail where there wasn't one before to get to a school that most kids had to be like bussed to or driven to because there wasn't any access. So like literally over the top of a mountain where normally you'd have to hike. Hmm. And uh, he had a whole bunch of people that, that, donated their supplies and stuff to him. Um, I was trying to look and find. So Hadco Construction and Geneva Rock. So Geneva Rock donated a bunch of um, the street stuff that goes down before they pour the asphalt, you know, that kind of yellowy stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, they're, so they're lining it and they're making it more permanent. And I guess there's going to be like some parks and stuff, but it makes it so that kids on the other side of this mountain that go to the school can actually walk to school instead of having to be bussed or be driven around the entire mountain. So I thought that was kind of cool because this one's going to last for a long time. This isn't, I don't know. I don't know what, what do people do for normal Eagle Scout? Eagle Scout projects are going away, so we'll never do this. (laughs) What do normal Eagle, like, it's supposed to be something that, that helps your community. So what I, what I did for mine is I raised pumpkins. So we took our entire garden and raised pumpkins for an entire season. Then we sold them for whatever people wanted to donate. And then with that, I bought clothes for Primary Children's Hospital for the newborns. So it's supposed to be something that benefits the community in some way. That's the whole purpose. So that was cool, but it didn't last decades, right? As yeah. opposed as opposed to just donating the money to Primary Children's, you went and bought clothes at retail. So no one taught you they have better buying, buying power than you do? <laughs> no, it wasn't at retail. Somebody knew somebody who, so we got them for like, much less than for pennies on the dollar. Excellent. Excellent. I, you know what? I've never asked Don what he did for his Eagle Scout project because he has an Eagle Mm -hmm. Scout too. But yeah, it's supposed to be something that benefits the community. And he has an Eagle Scout or he earned his Eagle Scout. Whatever. He has one in the basement. I don't know how it works. I mean, like if I actually think I have his little plaque. All right. With us today is Curry Stegan. I'm glad I didn't butcher your name because I just (laughs) asked. (laughs) The interview is young, Chris. There could still be time. Curry is the founder of uh, Passion for the Paranormal, which is a, a podcast that, that airs, what, twice a month? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, talking, about, It's pretty self-explanatory, <laughs> I've got to be honest. The, the title's pretty pretty cut and dry there. Um, but that's not, uh, you haven't been doing this your entire life, have you, Curry? No, absolutely not. In fact, uh, I really didn't get involved in the paranormal Till about roughly about six years ago and uh, really didn't start doing the podcast show about two years ago. So uh, I really came into the paranormal maybe from uh, a different angle than a lot of people do. Um, you'll find that a lot of people come into, you know, doing paranormal investigating. Uh, some people like to call it ghost hunting, although I hate that term. Uh and uh, I really came into it kind of from a different angle and maybe kind of from an a skeptic's approach. Uh, I really never had what I could say were truly paranormal experiences when I was younger. And you'll hear a lot of times when people come into the paranormal uh, world or the paranormal field, they've had experiences and they're trying to understand them. And that's kind of drew them in. Uh, I think I kind of got sucked in by um, what? One of the first uh, paranormal shows out there was, of course, Ghost Hunters, uh, and uh, that came out in 2004, and uh, I think I started watching the show around 2005, 
And, uh, you know, I had friends and others that had paranormal experiences and had talked about them. And, uh, you know, they were generally people that I considered pretty sane and uh, <laughs> pretty normal. So, uh, you know, they weren't people that I would say, well, uh, I'm not going to believe what they're saying. Um, you know, they were usually people of pretty sound mind. And uh, so I was always fascinated by it, I guess. Um, and uh, I always wanted to maybe at least explore it a little bit more to find out for myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And and so I kind of jumped into it, like I said, a little bit to, you'll often hear people say, well, I'll believe it when it happens to me. And, uh, and, and I think that's kind of where I was coming from. I wanted to find out whether, you know, all this, all these claims about the paranormal, whether there really was something to it. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I expected I may just come into it and never have anything really happen and just say, well, uh, maybe there isn't much to that, but that's not really the way it happened. And so uh, 2013, I think this was summer of 2013, uh, through, a, through a friend of mine, um, she had sent me a link about uh, a group that was doing uh, ghost tours. I think they call them ghost tours. And... Uh, it was up in Brigham City, and the location was known as the Barren Woolen Mill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if you've heard of that one. Yep. And um, so this group was doing tours, and uh, basically, you know, you had to pay and, and go in and, and uh, kind of investigate with them. They had equ equipment and that sort of thing. And I finally talked my wife into going and checking it out, and I thought, why not? Let's go check it out and see what it's all about. And uh, so we did, you know, we went and checked it out. And um, just on that very first uh, uh, tour that we did with the group, I had a couple of strange experiences. Uh, and uh, one of them was I saw this uh, what seemed to be a self-illuminating ball of light just kind of float up above the window and up into the ceiling and, uh, you know, that at the time I was walking between two buildings and uh, we were outside and there was nobody upstairs in that area of the building where I saw the green, if you want to call it an orb, although, you know, I saw this with my own eyes and it kind of floated up and pretty much disappeared. So that was kind of the first strange experience. And uh, nothing really happened on the uh, on the tour until the towards the end of the night. We were walking back passed uh, in the opposite direction between the two buildings I just mentioned, and there was kind of an old storage building that uh, was open. And uh, we were walking past, and I saw this shadow dart across the wall. Now, this shadow was going in the opposite direction that we were going. It, uh, was, it was not car lights. It wasn't anything that uh, I could rationally explain. It's just a I picked my head in there, and the shadow dashed across almost as if i had spooked something and hmm. uh so it, it was it was really bizarre so i had those couple of experiences and uh the investigators that were running the tour had uh, the mag flashlights and they were trying to get responses with them and uh, they were turning on and off and i thought well either this is trickery or maybe there's something to this i don't know that's and one of my favorite tools by the way <laughs> yeah, and and I've done it myself. And if you'll talk to other people out there that say it's uh, it's not the best uh, method of trying to communicate with spirits because there's a loose connection on there, and you know that flashlight can easily turn on and off. Uh, but it was interesting, and they seem to have been getting some responses to questions using those. 
Um, they had uh, an EMF meter where they were getting hits on that. And so it kind of piqued my curiosity. And uh, I don't think I was sold that, uh, that you know, it was everything I experienced was paranormal. But again, it just kind of piqued my curiosity. And uh, I decided to go back on another visit and uh, had a couple more things that happened. I, I had a digital voice recorder. And uh, I'm sure you guys know the term EVP. Uh, picked up an EVP that sounded, it really was just one word. So it wasn't like the most fantastic EVP, but I was standing alone in a, in a room and asked a question and got a response to just simply said no. Um, and I'm like 99% certain that was nobody else in that, uh, building. And, uh, so that was interesting. And, um, I also had a sister-in-law that was already working with a paranormal group here in, uh, the Ogden area. And uh, so she knew I went on the, the tours and she started talking to me about the group she was working with and uh, invited me to come along on investigation. Well, ultimately, she worked. She talked to the director and the director invited me to go along with the group. And uh, it was at uh, the Great Cliff Lodge there in Ogden Canyon. And uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but it's it's fairly known to be haunted. Uh, and, uh, so I went along with the group and just kind of watched how they did things and, uh, just kind of sat in the background and, you know, more or less and, uh, watched how they do things. And, um, I was, uh, impressed by the way the group operated. Uh, they really tried to kind of look at things, uh, from a skeptical point of view. And when I say skeptical, I mean, they tried to debunk things before. And, and I've heard this saying before. It's kind of about trying to find the normal before you find the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and that's really what this group, uh, that's what I really was impressed with is they were never quick to jump to any conclusions about anything being paranormal. You hear a weird noise. Is there it's some, the devil. None of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a demon coming out. You know, um, and, and so, a kid in high school that huffed gas and thought the devil was at his house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and so I just, uh, I, you know, I, I thought it was, uh, it was, a, it was the right approach and, uh, you know, being that, you know, I'm still kind of skeptical about this, although I, you know, I had a couple of strange, strange experiences that I mentioned. Um, the other thing that drew me in was, uh, I mentioned that tour I did at Baron Woolen Mill. Well, the guy that was kind of leading the tour there, I got to talking with him towards the end of it. And, you know, I just asked him, are there any other cool places that you can go check out? And uh, he mentioned uh, Merker Cemetery. And, uh, yeah, my thought was I don't really want to go to a cemetery, but as he started (laughs) talking about it, you know, I thought, what, am I going to go trespass in a cemetery? But, you know, it's just not something I was 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 really excited about doing. But as he started further talking about that place, uh, he said it's it's open to anybody. You can go pretty much anytime you want. And it's all that's left of an old uh, mining town uh, that was pretty much demolished by a mining company. I think it's the Bering Gold Company that just pretty much flattened the town. Yeah, if you go up there, there's uh, like a... Uh, not if you go past the cemetery there's a big fence it's like no trespassing blah 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 all this is shut down right right so you yeah you can't go in there and my understanding was you used to be able to go in when they still had some semblance of a town there uh buildings and whatnot and you used to be able to tour them and then they all just got demolished 
But I talked my wife <laughs> reluctantly. I dragged my wife out there on an early November um, evening. And uh, surprisingly, it actually was not that cold because some November morning um, evenings, you know, it can be pretty cold. So uh, we hiked up the hill, about a quarter of a mile hike up the hill, and uh, we walked around the grave markers. And, you know, I had a voice recorder and uh, had the flashlight and that sort of thing. Nothing was happening, and we're out there in the pitch dark. Um, of course, my wife's really worried about squatters or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere up at Merker. So um, there is no trespassing. I mean, you can pretty much go up there anytime. And so we're walking around and I'm doing, you know, EVP sessions and, and nothing's happening. I'm trying to get a uh, response on the flashlight, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, we're finally at the point where we're getting ready to leave. It's getting colder. And my wife's like, we need to get out of here. So we kind of start making our way back to go down the hill. And there's a sign there in front of the cemetery, just simply says Marker Cemetery. And I think that sign's gone now, unfortunately. But it's before you start heading back down the hill. And uh, so I thought, well, this is one last ditch effort to try something. And so, you know, I, I turned the flashlight on and asked for a response. And uh, if somebody was there to turn the flashlight off, well, sure enough, the flashlight went off. Uh, so I asked if uh, whoever was there could, could make the flashlight go on again. Flashlight went on. Hmm. Now, um, that was somewhat interesting and of course my wife's wife's barking in my ear it's uh you know that's not you're not speaking to spirits whatever that sort of thing and uh we suddenly we start hearing what sounds like casual whistling so um and i'm not talking about whistling like a bird whistling i'm talking about somebody like you would hear walking down the street just casually whistling and that's and, with your own ears this is not on a recording Right. Although I did capture, I did capture it on my voice recorder as well. Wow. Um, and the 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 interesting thing is, is at this point my wife is practically dragging me down the hill, because <laughs> of course she's still worried about squatters. Uh, we walked around that entire place, and again we're talking early November night. Um, it's ten o'clock at night. I'm about ninety nine percent certain there was nobody else around there. And, uh, I feel you could be like 100% sure on that because I've been to Merker. There's no one around there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Although we have saw, you know, little uh, makeshift tents uh, that people have made, you know, and uh, stuff around there. So that, there probably have been squatters from time to time around there. Um, either that or was people just going up there to scare themselves and uh, they made little <laughs> makeshift tents and stayed the night. I don't know. But uh, again, my wife's pretty much dragging me down the hill at this point. She's freaked out. Um, and then uh, I talked to uh, some other friends into going out there with us again the next week. And again, it's November, but surprisingly not very cold. And uh, we went out there, built a little fire and, you know, away from, of course, where the main um, grave markers are and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I was doing, again, EVP sessions and whatnot, and there really wasn't much happening. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we finished up that night, we wrapped up, and uh, we headed off. Well, um, I'm playing my voice recorder back probably about three or four days later, and I'm listening to my audio, and I'm standing in front of that same sign where I had the flashlight go off. And again, I got the mag flashlight in my hand, and I hear this voice on there. And uh, the voice sounded like it said, time to turn off the flashlight. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, the interesting thing is, as you can hear, there was like about six or seven of us in the group. And uh, you can hear the people I'm with are way off in the background talking and you can hear their voices. And then this voice comes through. Well, like I said, I'm holding the flashlight in my hand. So, um, you know, I don't know. Strange, really, really strange. So uh, the first thing I did, because my sister-in-law was along with me on uh, on that visit, and uh, I tell her, you know, I've got something interesting I want you to listen to on the voice recorder, and I didn't tell her what, I, what it said. You know, you always don't want to precondition somebody to... Right, because you, know, you want to see their reaction. Right. And so I, I told her, and I just looped the audio clip, and I said, here, listen to this, and tell me what you think it says. And so she listened to it, and she kind of just kept looping it back. And uh, she finally takes the headphones off, and she says, sounds like it's saying time to turn off the flashlight. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so the interesting thing about this is what you got to realize is I've, I've captured hundreds of EVPs, and this is really the first, um, aside from the one I mentioned at Barron Woolen Mill, which is just a one word, this is a full sentence. And uh, so... I couldn't That's explain. A class A EVP, they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now it was pretty faint. I will say it was faint, but it was there and you could hear it. And uh, like I said, my sister-in-law heard exactly what I said without me telling her what it said. So um, it, it, it was there. And, uh, you know, I had to enhance the audio a little bit because I played it back for my wife. And she's like, well, I hear the voice, but I don't hear exactly. But my sister-in-law interestingly heard the same thing I did. So that was really, and I mean, that was really the first good EBP I captured, and that was early on. So, you And know, then it again, became addicting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then I just got drawn in more and more. Now, I mentioned that I had uh, I had went with the group on that one investigation to Great Cliff. Well, they invited me back for a second investigation, and the way they kind of worked was, was they always invited people to kind of test drive them, if you will, one, make sure that, uh, you know, they weren't anybody too crazy, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that, that they could work with other group members and, uh, you know, that uh, it's just somebody they feel comfortable with and that sort of thing. So I went on another investigation and uh, and they all, I guess, they felt comfortable with me and um, and uh, they didn't dislike me too much. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they actually invited me to, be, to become a member in training. And so it just kind of took off from there. Um, you know, I did several more investigations with them and then they brought me on as a full blown member. And, um, I'm still kind of working with the group, although I do do some paranormal investigating on the side and now I have the podcast show, which keeps me busy as well. But that's kind of how it all started for me. And, uh, I would say, you know, early on, probably three or four investigations into it, I was thinking, man, there really is something to this. I don't know exactly what. But uh, there's something. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's definitely something to this. And, uh, you know, they took me to a location and some of the locations I'm still not at liberty to talk about because it's just uh, the clients don't want us talking about them. Uh, Other than to say it's in Wyoming and uh, uh, that narrows it down. That narrows it down. Yeah. (laughs) I Um, I think every group has places that they've been like that, that, you know, they're not at liberty to talk about. There's right. some cool places in Wyoming, though. Isn't it the, the, the library where I grew up in Green River is incredibly haunted, supposedly. Right. And and you just find as you start doing this, there's so many locations where there's reported haunted activity. But this particular location, they had pretty much experienced the full gamut of paranormal activity, uh, anywhere from full body apparitions 
um, disembodied voices, people being touched. Now, this was over the course of probably three or four years they had already been investigating the location. So um, they invited me and uh, had some strange things happen on my first couple of visits there, and they're still investigating this location. Um, so it's yielded thousands of EVPs um, and all kinds of other strange things. Now, um, one of the, I guess you'd call it the holy grail, if you'd like, of paranormal investigating is everybody wants to see that full body apparition. Well, unfortunately, that hasn't happened for me yet. Um, I've seen shadows. I've been touched. I've had my name called. I've been called names before. Um, but never seen that full body apparition, although other members have. What, a, what about an apparition of like Slimer? <laughs> I feel like people always say they want to see one, but what would you really do if you saw one? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess we'll it record it on... and share it with everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, that's what you. That again, that's I think kind of the holy grail of paranormal investigating. So you always want to capture that. I, I just never had. Now, again, I, I've had so many other experiences that uh, you know I can take away from it and just say, wow, that was amazing. Uh, you always have this tendency too, and I've done this to myself. You're at an investigation and something strange happens to you. And later that night, you're trying to talk yourself out of it. You're saying, well, you know, is my mind playing tricks on me? Did that really happen? <laughs> and, and, you know, you go through that sometimes. I've went through it many times as an investigator, even when I felt like something touched me on the arm and uh, there was no one standing near me. <laughs> um, you know, you go through that sometimes. Um, and uh, But, you know, the collective amount of experiences I've had as a paranormal investigator, um, I just I can't deny that there's something to this. Um one of the challenging things about doing paranormal investigating is sometimes I think you feel like you're left with more questions than you are answers. And uh, I think that's one of the, one of the maybe the most, uh, I, I don't dare I say frustrating things about it because, you know, you get these EVPs. Oftentimes they're not intelligent, although we've had intelligent responses, but they're probably the exception rather than the rule. Sometimes you just get this random voice that comes through. Um, you know, and, and again, I've got a small handful that are intelligent that have called my name and have, you know, I'm in the room with another female investigator and, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, male voice calls my name. You know, I, I get a female voice that says, what are you guys doing as we're setting up equipment? And it's me and one other female. And, uh, you know, these are class A EVPs. I mean, they're clear as day. And uh, one of the things we did as a group is we'd always take, again, we, we wouldn't tell the other members exactly what we think is being said. We just share the clip with everybody. Everybody listens, comments on the website, provides their input. And, uh, you know, we go from there and, uh, you know, we continue analyzing it and, uh, if, it, if we can't chalk it up to something explainable, it kind of goes in the unknown or if you want to say the paranormal category, although I don't know that we can ever claim uh, anything is truly paranormal. I, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a few things that have happened. I'd say, yeah, I think that's pretty much paranormal. Um, getting back to the Merker location, I actually talked, and again, we don't go trenching around uh, cemeteries at night and trespassing and it's just not something we do. But uh, again, Marker's the exception. And 
I actually got a group uh, a group of people from the team to go out there with me, and uh, we kind of did a light investigation and, and hung out and kind of uh, talked around campfire and then went out and walked around and did some investigating and you know and uh, we had a trap camera set up on one of the uh, grave markers, IR you know infrared trap camera mm-hmm. just like hunters use, and um, you know we also had one of those uh i had one of those motion lights set up and we were sitting around the campfire and uh, i always go back to Merker because i love the place and i've had some great experiences there um we had the motion light go off and that thing never goes off so you know we're thinking well maybe it was a squirrel or an animal we're outside and uh you know we're snakes in... yeah, yeah snake who knows <laughs> anything when you're outdoors like that really absolutely so um we uh, we're back at the fire after doing some investigation again, and we're sitting around the fire. And one of the female investigators asks, "If there's somebody there, can they make the light go off?" Well, that light went off like a split second later. And uh, so that second occasion, I was like, "Wow, really?" I mean, uh, that was like right after her question. And of course, we get up and shine our flashlights and make sure there's no squirrels running around or anything like that. But um, so that happened, and then. Uh, uh, we had a couple other strangers. A couple of people claimed they seen a misty type apparition. Um, unfortunately, of course, I was not standing there to see that. Um, and then, uh, so our deputy director is reviewing her um, trap camera um, footage, and uh, she finds something—a shadow that uh, is walking behind the grave markers and kind of goes behind a grove of trees and kind of disappears. So she sends it to us, and we all look at it. And uh, the interesting thing was about an hour before that, we saw one of our investigators walked along there. It was a little bit lighter, not quite as dark, but you could clearly see that who it was. You could see their clothing. You could clearly see it was was what we like to call fleshy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard that term used before. That's awesome. Right, but uh, (laughs) a term we use in, in the group. and. And, uh, and then just about an hour later, we caught the shadow. And uh, it's on the Pulse Facebook, uh, Paranormal Pulse Facebook page. You can find it there. Um, and uh, we have not been able to debunk that shadow to this day. Uh, you know, we're, we're, again, I never say 100%. I'd say we're about 95% certain that was not one of us or a regular fleshy. That was uh, <laughs> something else. <laughs> something else. And uh, so that was an amazing catch there. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, some amazing experiences I've had there at Merker and then that other location in Wyoming. So many amazing experiences from disembodied voices uh, to just some of the most amazing EVPs, shadows. Um, you know, all kinds of different things that have happened to me there. Um, just strange energy I felt there many, many times. Um, but uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, I find that in the paranormal field, there's so much fear uh, put out there. Um, and uh, I know, Jessica, I think you kind of alluded to it already. Demons, demons. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, know, was that, I, maybe that was Jeremy. Maybe that was Jeremy. I was but. half joking because if you watch... <laughs> We won't we won't say who, but some of the paranormal shows on TV now, everywhere they go, it's, it's the devil. Demons. Everything that happens, it's a demon. It's like, They're oh, come scarier on. scarier than ghosts, man. The devil's scary. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and uh, my experience has been, it's, it's, I've never had, I've been doing this almost six years now. Uh, I've never had anything that I would say would even come remotely close to anything somebody would call demonic. 
Um, now I've said, I've, I've heard my name, <laughs> I've heard my name called and I've been cursed at before, but you know, maybe they were just annoyed that I was there and maybe they mm-hmm. thought I was being invading their space. Right. That sort of thing. But nothing bad's ever happened to me. I've never had anything follow me home, knock on wood. Um, you know, I know other people claim that strange stuff like that's happened to them. Um, I just think there's way far, far too many people that are quick to jump to, um, that, uh, something's demonic or, you know, that something's negative. Uh, and, uh, it's just not been my experience. I think for the most part, most everything I've experienced has been positive. Perhaps those people are just attracting it. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's a good point. That's a good point because, I often say I think that to some degree the energy you bring is sometimes the energy you attract. So perhaps right. if, you're, if, if you're going into a location with that mindset, with a fear mindset, and um, you already think that you know, you, you know, you're already thinking that perhaps there's demonic forces there, that sort of thing. Um, you're already setting yourself up to begin with. So. Yeah. So, Curry, to back up just a little bit, where are you from? Are you from Utah? I am, and uh, I was born and raised in Ogden, uh, graduated from Bonneville High School. And uh, and then I went into the military, um, spent about 12 years on active duty. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, left active duty and went into the IMA Reserve um, world, which is just uh, another category of an Air Force reservist. Spent so another- you... Were you out at Hill, Hill, Hill Air Force Base then? Uh, part of my active duty time, I was there for about three years. Uh, spent some time at Davis Monathan. Uh, spent a year in Korea. Did some deployments. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I came from the military background. And you, as you know, the uh, in, in the military, talking about ghosts and UFOs and stuff that I like, these kind of 40 and topics are not something you just talk to anybody about. A, a tad taboo. <laughs> Yeah, and um, you might get uh, looked at like you have a third eye. And so I kind of – I the other interest I've had for many, many years has been the uh, UFO phenomena going all the way back to the late 90s, about 98 time frame. Uh, and actually going back before then because when I was about 12 years old, a friend and I could have swore that uh, we saw a UFO, although it was so fast. It happened within about four or five seconds. And uh, we saw these lights and we, we saw this thing just zap right out of the atmosphere so fast. We looked at each other and said, did we both really see that kind of thing? And uh, we both shook our heads and, you know, like, I think we just saw a UFO. <laughs> and uh, that is the only time I think I've ever seen a UFO. I've never seen one since. But I'm pretty certain that experience. And again, I was 12 years old, so it's a little bit fuzzy now. But it's not something I went and told everybody about and said, hey, I saw a UFO. And uh, I think I mentioned to my mother one time and she looked at me like, (laughs) yeah, whatever. (laughs) Well, but truly, though, UFO just means it's unidentified. It doesn't necessarily mean it's from another planet. I mean, it it just means it's something. It means it's a weather balloon. Unidentified. It's a weather balloon. Swamp gas. (laughs) Swamp gas. However, there's there's a lot of um, shows on TV and documentaries about military specifically air force dealing with ufos seeing ufos potentially seeing ufos of course you got area 51 so you've got all kinds yeah, were you of ever stationed there 
background. What's that? Oh, yeah. Were you stationed? <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell you if I was. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> uh, but no, I wasn't. <laughs> um, well, and, uh, you know, know that's true. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But honestly, I didn't even know Area 51 existed back when I first came in the military. Now, I don't even think that uh, that was even well known. Now, I know some people that had talked about being stationed at Tonopah. So that's kind of code word for I was stationed in and around Area 51, hmm. if you will. But, but you know, everybody knows it exists now. It's no secret. I think the government pretty much is, you know, came Finally out and said, admitted that it's there. It's Dugway that they don't talk about. Right. Yeah, why would you talk about all the... <laughs> yeah, you should just sit up on the hill at Merker. I'm sure you could see something out there. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, I never did see a UFO, although I seen some pretty brilliant... Uh, one night, and it was that night uh, we caught the shadow, we saw some pretty brilliant uh, meteor um, nice. coming down, cool. which was, you know, yeah, you're up there and, you know, you can see every star in the sky. There's no light pollution. And, uh, yeah, that was amazing, too. And it, it almost looked like fireworks coming down. It was just amazing. Um, but no, no UFO sightings up there. I would love to, you know, see another UFO. But I'm a firm believer that there's something to the phenomena. And uh, going back to when uh, the book, The Day After Roswell, came out, um, retired Colonel Philip Corso, who is uh, long passed on. Uh, it's one of the first books I read about the subject, and uh, I I just became fascinated by it. Um, I know initially as I was reading, I thought, wow, really? I mean, can uh, some of these claims be real? And uh, I don't know if uh, those are following uh, ufology uh, we just lost a giant in the UFO community in Stanton Friedman. It was the one that really broke the story on Roswell, and uh, he just passed away. Like uh, yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, I think it was last night or early this morning. I just got wind of that about an hour ago. Um, and he's really considered by some to be the modern, uh, really to be the father of modern ufology. He really was the one that broke the story with Jesse Marcel Jr. on the whole Roswell situation. So I kind of quietly followed the the UFO topic. Again, it's not something I talked about regularly in military circles and, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it's it's something that I kind of followed quietly. And, and I think um, we're in a pretty exciting time now because uh, I don't know if you guys uh, remember or saw the uh, New York Times story that broke at the end of December 2017 about the Tic Tac UFO and uh, the F-18 pilots that captured the uh, gun camera footage of this uh, UFO. And, uh, you know, Commander David Fravor still says to this day, uh, it is not anything of this world that he was tracking and that just suddenly disappeared uh, off his scope and uh, at enormous rate of speed. And, uh, and now we had uh, Louis Elizondo, who said he ran the Pentagon's program, for studying UFOs has come out and he's working with this rock star guy. You may know him, Tom DeLong. Uh, <laughs> I forgot that he was totally into that. Yeah. Now, uh, the interesting thing about Tom DeLong is he's been quietly following this and researching this for years. And everybody thought, well, he's just a rock star. What the heck does he know? He really knew his stuff. And uh, he's been following the, the phenomena for many, many years. He did his homework. He researched it, um, and he got to get he got some government think cakes together. Chris Mellon and uh, some of these other guys, Louis Elizondo, and formed to the Stars Academy, and uh, they're the ones that were really the reason that video came out. Um, Louis Louis Elizondo, you know, he's 
I think he worked through the FOIA process to get that video released. Now, obviously, there's probably classified portions that we'll never see. Uh, but it's it's an exciting time. I think people, more and more people, are opening their eyes to the that the you know that this phenomena is real. There's something going on. You know, millions and millions of people having accounts uh, and witness witnessing these things just go back to 1998, Phoenix Light, 1997, excuse me, in the Phoenix Lights uh, event, over 10,000 witnesses, including. Former Governor Five Simington, who came out on Larry King Live, although he mocked the event, originally mocked the event to downplay it, he came out after he was no longer in politics and said, I saw these things. I'm a former Air Force pilot. They were not flares like the government tried to say they were. These were, you know, something otherworldly. Uh, they were completely silent, there was no signs of propulsion. These things flew right over, and some say as, as, as big as a mile wide, flew over metropolitan Phoenix and t- over 10,000 witnesses, air traffic control. Um, and, the, and the military first said, we don't know what this is. Um, people called in, and uh, they had no official statement other than to say, we don't know what it is. Then they came back later and tried to say, oh, we were test, we were doing hmm. uh we were doing tests out on the Barry Goldwater range. There were A-10s flying out there dropping flares, and that's what people were seeing. And, uh, you know, people are not stupid. They know, you know, especially Five Symington, a former Air Force pilot, he knows what flares look like. They drop away, and they don't stay in formation. Um, so that was a completely bogus claim. That, And I'm sorry, I come from the Air Force, and, uh, you know, I'm thankful for the career I had. I had a great career with the Air Force, but... That was but you were like, most... I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the most ridiculous claim to come out and trying to say that uh, that was A-10s out there operating on the range dropping flares. And uh, pretty much everybody involved who saw these things are like, are you kidding me? Uh, these were not flares. Um, these were not helicopters. These were not anything that we think are of this world or anything that we own. Second of all, people, uh, other skeptics or debunkers try to come out and say, well, they were probably our aircraft operating, um, you know, uh, probably wouldn't, you know, where your aircraft is operating. (laughs) Well, if they're (laughs) secret aircraft, then the government's probably not going to officially mention where they're flying them, but that somebody knows. Somebody knows, and that theory is pretty much blown out of the water because that's not the way the government operates secret aircraft. They don't fly them over metropolitan cities. Yeah, if you're trying to keep something a secret, you don't fly it over a heavy populated city. And and close enough that the flares are visible if you're <laughs> for everybody to see. <laughs> I remember when that happened because that was back in what, like ninety nine ish, ninety seven, ninety seven. That was close. Yeah. But that uh, I remember when that ha- when that happened. I remember all the news stories about it because no one could explain it. Yeah, and, be- and there's lots of, of you know eyewitness photos and stuff like that. If that would have happened today. There'd been the million and one cell phone videos to look at. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was just before that time. Um, <laughs> so uh, I had uh, Dr. Lynn Katai on the show. Now she she did the documentary on Phoenix, on the Phoenix Lights incident. She experienced these things going all the way back to '95 over the South Mountain Range over Phoenix, and uh, she uh, she experienced them several times. And she had this panoramic view from her uh, 
porch uh, overlooking the Phoenix, um, it's the city of Phoenix, she saw these things several times and photographed them and uh, photographed them as they were separating and uh, kind of going into that kind of formation like they did on the day of the Phoenix Lights. Uh, I would say if there's any case that's that's the most compelling from my perspective, it's probably that case right there because uh, so many credible witnesses and so many people that came forward. And uh, unfortunately, Frances Barwood, who was a councilwoman who was researching and trying to get answers from thousands and thousands of callers from the Phoenix area that were calling air traffic control, calling the base, calling her. She tried to get to the bottom of it. And uh, every other council person looked at her like, are you kidding me? We're not going to touch this. And uh, ultimately, I think it cost her her political career. I think she tried to run uh, for office down the road a ways, and it kind of hurt her career. So unfortunately, there's, um, you know, that aspect of the phenomena that people are not willing to risk their careers to come forward and talk about it. We've had pilots who, um, you know, they've come forth and talked about it, go all the way back to 86 uh, when the Japanese Airlines uh, pilot came out and talked about that incident that he had over Alaska. He basically, it cost him his career. Well, even in World War II, there's incidences of pilots from World as far back as World War II reporting UFOs and different things that they couldn't explain. But but let me let me ask this because you know I I firmly believe we're not alone in the universe. I think it's in, I think it's insane and and absolutely just unfathomable to think in the vast universe that there's no that other it. <laughs> there's no other sentient species that exists out there that perhaps could have the technology but my question is if they spend all the effort and energy to get here why are they just hovering around? Why haven't they tried to interact at some level? Because humans are kind of weird. I mean, we are dicks, <laughs> let's be clear. But, but that's what that's what always, when when things like the Phoenix Lights happen, that's always what my initial question is. Is not, was that really an unidentified object? Clearly, it's an unidentified object. If it's extraterrestrial and not of this world, what the fuck are they doing? Like, why are they just hanging out? Is there a purpose? Are they just observing? Uh, and you know, it's it's you know, Gomer Pyle like freaking driving the thing <laughs> and forgets to turn the lights off. Like, well, or are they unmanned? Are they just uh, you know unmanned drones? observation drones or something like that? Right. So um, that's uh, all of those theories have been thrown out there. Um, the probe theory. In fact, I had Larry Holcomb who wrote the book uh, UFOs and Presidents on the show uh, last year, and that is his theory. His theory is um, that they're probes, uh, and uh, there's you'll hear more and more talk about that. That uh, you know, there's there's just take like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a, you know famous astrophysicist. He says uh, he's still not convinced. And we had the Tic Tac uh, video that came out, um, Louis Elizondo, Louis Elizondo, who came forward, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, you have to look at the abduction phenomena. As crazy as people may think it sounds. You have to look at that part of the picture as well, because there are millions of people across the world over the years that are claiming they're getting abducted. And uh, just look at the Travis Walton case. That's a perfect case. Um, you know, all of those guys witnessed that they, they, the craft basically take him up and uh, they, they all took lie detector tests. They all passed. Uh, they, they thought these guys had murdered him. They either had murdered him or... 
had, uh, you know, done something to him. And, uh, you know, they were being questioned and questioned and questioned by law enforcement authorities. And uh, here he is. He shows up five days later um, naked and afraid. <laughs> hmm. um, but but you have to look at cases, the Betty Barney Hill case going all the way back to the late 60s. And there's just been a string of, of case after case. Um, look at the work of Dr. John Mack, who's long passed on. I think he passed on in 2004. Uh, very famous uh, abduction researcher. Um, look at uh, Bud Hopkins' work he's done on the subject. I mean, these are all legitimate, well-known, well-educated researchers have been researching the subject for many, many years. And uh, for, for whatever reason, um, there seems to be something to this abduction account. I just had uh, Raymond Szymanski on the show. He wrote the book, Fifty Shades of Grace, uh, Victoria's Secret Truth. And it's about uh, his research into an abduction account. This is a retired Air Force engineer who worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for 40 years pretty sane guy and uh he wrote he was just on the show uh that that episode will be out tomorrow and uh his research on that case was fascinating but uh just the collective body of research that's been done and people are not aware of on the abduction phenomena there seems to be something going on here um you can get into what what exactly is going on why are they abducting people there's people claiming that you know, again, going back to, you know, are they doing scientific experiments? Are they uh, creating? And again, I know this gets on the fringe. I, I realize that <laughs> people see this as a fringe topic. But I would just ask uh, for people who feel that way, go back and do some of the reading and some of the research that's been put out there on this subject. Uh, I mean, there's so much more of it once you start delving into it than you realize and uh, there does seem to be an agenda here. There does seem to be something that uh, whether or not they are, um, you know, whether or not they are uh, are creating some sort of human hybrid species. Uh, whether it's like the episode of Twilight Zone, my favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, there there does seem to be something to the abduction phenomena as well. There's so many people of all walks of life that have uh, claimed to have been abducted and abducted multiple times. But again, even if you just go back and research the Travis Walton case, the, the movie was Fire in the Sky that came out in the 90s. Uh, there was a book um, that uh, he wrote about it as well. Just that case alone is fascinating. You could take that case alone and say, hmm, even if any of the other abduction accounts out there and say, hmm, there's something to this. Listen, with a mustache like that, how can you not believe him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and again, you know, uh, there are still people to this day that are not sold on that case. But, you know, go back to all of the uh, people that were in his logging crew that all passed the lie detector tests. They all had the same accounts. I mean, it wasn't pretty much. I mean, it wasn't like uh, Joe Bob over here was saying one thing and, and Tommy over here was saying completely 180 degrees something different. Uh, what they were saying were, were, were very similar in their accounts. Um, their stories seemed to be pretty consistent. And uh, so, like I said, you could take that case alone and just say, wow, um, that's a fascinating case. And uh, if you researched it, uh, you know, you're, you're probably, you know, that doesn't mean you're going to reach the conclusion that aliens are abducting people. But um there's just more and more coming out there, more people coming out and speaking out about this. Um, as we progress in this, I, I, I mean, I see some positive things, especially with, 
you know, again, I, I keep hearkening back to that 2017 New York Times press release that came out. But I think that's a really positive sign. And I think it, more and more people. So the statistic, and I just had another guest on the show, Dr. Diane Pasolka. She is the uh, religious uh, professor. She teaches religion at um, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. She wrote the book, American Cosmic UFOs, Religion and Technology. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, she talks about. But she also talks about the statistics. Right now, over half of U.S. adults and over 80 percent of young Americans now believe in UFOs or in uh, intelligent ET life out there. So um, more and more people are coming to believe there's something going on here. Um, it's not like it's just the crazy French people anymore. <laughs> that's what, what some people thought of it. Um, more and more people are starting to realize and are paying attention and saying, hey, there's something going on here. Perhaps the government knows a lot more than they're saying they do. Perhaps they only know a little bit and not as much as some people think they do. And mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the reason for the truth embargo. Maybe uh, they, I mean, you know, it's not like the government's going to want to come out and say, we don't have control of our skies and uh, <laughs> we, we, we can't do anything about these things. It, it's really not something you necessarily want to publicly state to everyone that you have no control. So, um, the other interesting thing about these things is there's plenty of uh, there's former Air Force officers came forward who have said uh, missile officers who have said these things have shut down our missile bases. Hmm. They've shut down our missile sites. They have hovered over our missile sites um, at Malmstrom Air Force Base. Uh, they've had uh, reports at other missile bases where these things seem to be very interested and in, go all the way back to the Roswell and uh you know, when we were pre-Roswell, when we were developing developing nuclear weapons and Manhattan Project type of stuff, engineers coming forward saying we saw UFOs on almost a daily basis. So they, they seem to be interested in what's going on in terms of our nuclear developments, um, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people have come forward to say they're they're very concerned about us destroying the world and destroying our own planet and that sort of thing. So. Who knows what the agenda is? Some say it's uh, there's there's more than one type of species visiting us. Some have more of a peaceful agenda. Maybe the, the maybe more of the gray types or the Nordics. Uh, but again, who knows? No one seems to really truthfully have the answers. So, what kinds of stuff can people expect to hear from your podcast if they tune in? Uh, just about anything and everything paranormal. So um, I just mentioned some of the UFO. I've had several UFO researchers um, and authors on the show. Um, Larry Holcomb, Preston Dennett, Dr. Lynn Katai. I mentioned her. Ray Shemansky was just on the show. Dr. Diana Pasolka. But these are all researchers who, who've done a lot of research or written books on the subject. Uh, you know, obviously, that's a big interest area for me. So I've covered a lot of UFO topics. I've covered, I've had psychics and mediums on the show. Um, I've had Bigfoot researchers on the show. Um, now, uh, getting into the Bigfoot topic, and I'm not saying I'm sold on it, uh, because if you look at statistic wise, I think it's only about over 20% of the people believe that there's something to that phenomena. Um, Where do you fall in that? Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, Have you heard of the Utah Bigfoot? 
Uh, I've heard of many Utah Bigfoots. Okay. Well, yeah, well, yeah, family? Supposed to, you know, oh. supposed to be Have you heard of the Great Salt Lake Whales? <laughs> yeah, the Great Salt Lake Whales. That's different. That's though, one of our yeah. favorite topics. <laughs> now, that's a new one. I have not I, heard that one yet. Look up the story. Google it. So yep. it, it really happened it's in a real the thing. late... So early 1900s, early 1900s. Somebody had dropped two whales this, in the Great Yeah, Salt this Lake. rich investor had two whales shipped to Utah and put them in the Great Salt Lake. But yeah. nobody knows what happened to them. Pretty sure they immediately died, but it's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't no, the man, Great it's... Salt Lake a little too shallow to house wells? Yeah, it's like the average. It was, it was much, much higher back then, but, but its average is like 35 feet is the average depth yeah. of the Great Salt yeah, Lake. Had, yeah, look it up. It was a real thing. It really happened. Anyway. <laughs> so, so the 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 other thing uh, that fasc- fascinates me now. I've had a couple of uh, researchers. One of them was uh, Stan Gordon, and uh, he's been researching a very strange area. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of Skinwalker Ranch, just right here. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yep, I've heard of it. Okay, so um, so Chestnut Ridge is kind of the Skinwalker Ranch of Pennsylvania, um, and gotcha. uh, so he was the chief investigator for the Kecksburg UFO. Supposed Kecksburg UFO crash and retrieval. Supposedly the military swooped in after this crashed vehicle landed. People saw it. The military swooped in and uh, um, forced everybody out of the area, Put, you know, loaded it up on a flatbed truck and uh, hauled it away. Um, so he, he was the chief investigator on that case. He's also been researching all the strange accounts that have been going on all across multiple counties in the Chestnut Ridge region, which is... I think it's southwestern Pennsylvania, and it even extends that mountain range down into West Virginia. All kinds of activity being reported, people reporting Bigfoot-like creatures, cryptids, UFOs. But, I mean, you're talking across multiple counties on, on uh, say, a given night. People across multiple counties with similar reports. Um, but they're, they're comparing it to our Skinwalker Ranch? Well, I am actually comparing it because I would say because of the... There's so many weird types of activity and reports that people have uh, have called in about. And oftentimes they've called Stan Gordon because he's a well-known paranormal researcher in the area. He's been researching the area for years. But people who have reported seeing UFOs and then they've seen weird Bigfoot-like creatures. They've shot at them. Um, nothing's happened to them. And even some have reported these. And I know it sounds crazy, but uh, there was a documentary Seth Breedlove did. And it was called Invasion of Chestnut Ridge. And that's really how I found out about Stan Gordon and the research he's done on the area. I feel that it's a lot easier for people, like, say it's like 19, when did Roswell happen in the 60s? uh, 1947. Wait, okay, so I'm way off. But, like, who do you report that to back then? And now social media, like, all you have to do is, you know, look up your researcher and be like, hey, I saw this thing. (laughs) Like, it's, it's much easier to have that. To be able to report it and have more people report it, I would think. Well, absolutely. But the problem with that is where? how do you separate the wheat, the wheat from the chaff? Because there's so much of it out there and there's people that uh, are purposely, I guess they don't have anything better to do with their time. <laughs> there's people that want to hoax and they think it's fun. It's kind of like a computer hacker that wants to go hack into government systems or hack into people's computers just because they feel like they can. They're smart enough and they know how to do it. Uh, there's hoaxers out there that they, they I don't that know. ruin it for everyone. Right, right. And they're out there. There was a guy in Provo 
who uh, had a hologram of a UFO up in the sky and had people, hundreds of people calling in reports. <laughs> you know? Oh, and, and, Provo. <laughs> that's legit. Those what? Provo people, man, I tell you. Uh, and, and, and I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's people out there doing this, and they get their kicks off of doing it. And uh, so there's a lot of that going on in the internet. People are wanting to create. Chris would be Chris would be a hoaxer oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't do something so obvious. Like for me, it would be like creating a space that I claimed was haunted and filling some some back history and seeing how good people actually do research before doing paranormal investigations and then just planning bullshit. Right, just to see if they uh, if they try and assume that. Like, Blatantly, obviously, blatantly obvious crap. Because I, <laughs> yeah. I think like 99% of the paranormal investigators out there are full of shit. But that's that's my own opinion. I think most of them are out there to make a buck and not actually not actually figure stuff out and, and try to figure stuff out. Right. And, and you are probably correct that there's probably over 90% of them out there that are thrill seekers or they're trying to get YouTube pages and just trying to get hits and that well, sort of thing. Especially in the post, like sensationalized TV era, era, you know, that's I think that's the piece yeah. that that doesn't you know, help. Having all of those shows sure doesn't help the people who are legitimately out there trying to find answers. Yeah, I mean, there's it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Right? Like on on the one hand, you have this this these shows that are now bringing this stuff up to honestly more of a pop culture type of level of of awareness, but with that comes you know, everyone trying to make a buck off of it and, and really just watering down any kind of legitimacy of, of anyone that actually does it just to just to prove stuff to themselves or, you know, has some sort of real real effort and, and real work rate put into it. Because I mean, we've, we've gone on investigations with fucking idiots that were clearly just to make a buck. And there may have been a, a handful of people that were serious, but nothing about what happened was was a serious investigation because serious investigations are the most boring ass things on the planet <laughs> right and uh, i've been on many of them trust me and we've had uh people come into the group that i think they had um unreasonable expectations they thought they were going to go out and you know stuff was going to be happening left and right like you see on the shows and when it didn't they're like i'm out this is boring <laughs> I don't want to sit here for hours in the dark trying to capture EVPs or you people, know that. people forget those shows. They're you know thirty to forty five minutes. But tops, they're sitting there for hours, and, and they're they're hundreds of hours of footage yeah. to get one. Usually hour multiple show. days. Usually they record for a couple of days. Yeah, to- and and they're they're highly edited. And and think about like when you like watch like the stupid Ghost Hunter show. Like how much of that show up front is like. Well, this is about the place, blah, blah, blah. And then there's like maybe out of all the time they spend on site, really less than 10 minutes of actual footage of anything that actually happens at the site. Right. Now, uh, I I would say a lot of the shows you write that are out right now are that way. Personally, I think Ghost Hunters was the most legit. And uh, the, the reason why I say that, that came out in 2004. And of course, they left... Uh, sci-fi in uh, 2016 but at least early on in the show especially there were many times they'd be on an investigation and the show was kind of boring because nothing would happen and then they would go tell the client hey we didn't experience anything doesn't mean we're saying your place is not haunted it's just hey we didn't capture anything uh 
I always thought that show was a lot more realistic than some of the others because of that, because they were able to say, you know what, nothing happened. Right. And, and you know, it doesn't always make for uh, the Good best TV. ratings. Right, <laughs> right. People want to see, you know. Um, Demons uh, scratching your back. Right. That's why <laughs> Supernatural is so popular. Somebody taking their shirt off and, you know, <laughs> challenging whoever's there. I won't mention any names and, and getting scratched. <laughs> oh, we know. <laughs> But, but I think that's part of uh, – and one of the reasons I'm also writing my book, not only to talk about my experiences and, uh, you know, to kind of put it out there that, uh, you know, I haven't experienced any of this kind of stuff. And I've been doing this for almost six years. So, um, yeah, I've experienced weird things. Um, yeah, I've experienced things I can't explain. But, again, it doesn't um, – none of it would come close to what somebody would call demonic. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's been one or two times I've been spooked, but one time I was alone in the building when another couple of investigators went to another location and, uh, you know, I was sitting up there, we call it base camp and I'm monitoring audio and, uh, I've got audio cord running down to a live audio recorder in the basement. And I start hearing what sounds like somebody picking up a cord and smacking it on the ground. And I'm like, I'm pretty certain I'm only one in the building. So, of course, I got to go down and make sure there's no fleshies running around and hmm. nobody in the building. And, of course, there wasn't. And uh, sure enough, lo and behold, I get downstairs walking through the rooms and I start hearing walking above me. Floor above me. So, <laughs> you know, and this has happened multiple times at this location. The problem is I'm alone in the building. <laughs> So, of course, you know, there hasn't been many times I've been spooked, but I was a little bit spooked on that occasion. And uh, so I radioed the other two investigators and just kind of said, hey, when are you guys coming back to the building? And uh, so, you know, there's been a few times I've been a little spooked. That's one of them. But uh, for the most part, I haven't. And again, it wasn't that there was anything bad. It was just that's that feeling when you're alone in a location and. It's almost this feeling like is, you know, there's something watching me and now I'm hearing things and hearing footsteps and hearing what sounds like a cord getting smacked on the ground. So it was really strange. But I think that's part of what I'm trying to do with my book is to just talk about the experiences I've had. Um, and they are genuine experiences. And, you know, trying to also talk about because there's so much fear put out there. And there's, you know, you guys have already talked about some of it. Um, there's so many people wanting to claim they saw a demon or, uh, you know, they saw some negative, you know, spirit um, that attacked them or whatever. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think it hurts the field. And um, I think the paranormal shows, while they've got it out there and they've made it more mainstream, you already talked about some of the negative aspects of it, and it uh, it hurts the credibility. On the other hand, uh, we went into some of the locations that uh, some of these uh, shows have went into and filmed and claimed that uh, there was bad stuff going on. And we're like, we didn't experience that there. One of yeah. them was one of them was Albion uh, up in Idaho, which we no longer get to investigate. Um, the Albion Normal School, which used to be a school for teachers, and um, they now turned it into a haunted attraction hmm. um the owners and we got to investigate there multiple times they eventually turned it off um to investigating because they're doing some other stuff with the location but you know there was a, a show film there and uh, there was claims people were getting scratched and they were getting 
you know, demonic type messages and that sort of thing. Oh, that wasn't our experience. And, and uh, you know, we weren't experiencing that kind of stuff. And we'd been there at the site multiple times. So, so when uh, when is your book going to be out? Uh, that's a good question. I keep pushing that to the right. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, I am hoping for late 2019. Um, probably this is probably fairly optimistic, but I'm hoping before um, maybe before Halloween time frame, September, October, um, probably more reasonably towards the end of the year. Um, I'm about halfway done with it. And w- with running a podcast show, you guys know how that do- goes. You're you're doing post editing of episodes, and it takes up a lot of your time. You're trying to find guests. And- oh, we're not fancy Some of us about that. Knows how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> others, others think that it's just a couple hours on a Tuesday night. I'm not going to name names, James. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is a lot of work involved with it, and a lot of post editing and that sort of thing, and it really does gobble up a significant amount of my time. So, uh, I, you know, I work on the book as I can here and there. And uh, the problem is it's a challenge when you don't write every day and you write maybe every three or four days and then you try and pick that back up and you're like, okay, where do I leave off and where do I want to start again sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a challenge, but I am going to get it done. Um, I'm looking at probably most likely self-publishing. It's a lot easier to do nowadays than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, to have to jump through all the hoops you have to to try and get it uh, put out there by a regular publisher is not easy, as I'm learning. Um, so, yeah, I probably will be looking at self-publishing. Um, you know, I don't expect the book to be a bestseller, but uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for quite some time. Well, keep us posted for sure. Let us know when it's com- when it comes out. We'll, we'll repost it on our end. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So- so and how do people how do people find your podcast? So they can go to my website. Uh, the website is passion the number four theparanormal.com and uh, they can uh, find links to past episodes there. They can go to my Facebook page uh, and that's at uh, facebook.com/ passion the number four the paranormal. Uh, you can find links to episodes there. Um, I'm on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, Stitcher, and uh, my actual podcast uh, um, provider or uh, service provider is SoundCloud. I believe that's where you guys are as well. It sure is. It sure is. So any of those platforms, you can find the podcast. Um, and, and I mentioned a couple of episodes coming out. They're both on the UFO subject. Tomorrow's episode will feature Raymond Shemansky. Uh, and again, it's a, it's about uh, the research he's done on a, uh, an abduction account. Uh, so Fifty Shades of Grey's Victoria's Secret Truth is his book. And uh, so it's my discussion with him. That's some great SEO right there. <laughs> right, right. That's what I said, too. That's, that's, that's kind of smart how he did that. Uh, and then the next uh, show will feature Diane, uh, Dr. Diane Pasolka. And her book is American Cosmic UFOs, Religion and Technology. Interesting thing about her is uh, she came into it as a very serious skeptic. Uh, She uh, in 2010, her exact comment was, if you would have tried to talk to me about UFOs, I would have walked away or uh, changed the subject right away. And she's now convinced there's something to the phenomena based on her research. Um, And this is a, you know, this is a, a tenured um, college professor, well-educated, uh, 
professor of religion, and uh, she's studied religion, and and uh, she's also the chair of philosophy and religion at the university. So um, just uh, look out there. There's more and more people in mainstream and um, researchers, people who are scientists that are writing about the subject or researching it. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, again, um, there's there's uh, so much more coming out there nowadays um, for better, or for worse. I think for better, for the most part. Um, and uh, it's getting a lot of attention and a lot of people, I think, are opening their eyes to it. So we, we ask all our guests this and then we'll let you go. Uh, you, you live in Utah. You were raised here. You, you've come back here and decided to plant roots. What's one thing that you would tell someone visiting the state that they had to do before they left? Ooh. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Um, I would say uh, get out and visit the national parks there. Um, even if it's uh, – and if there's any one that I would say more than others, I love Moab. I love the Moab area. Uh, that's my favorite, personally. I love Canyonlands, Arches, uh, particularly Canyonlands is really – probably my favorite national park, but I'd say get out there because that's some of the most unique um, scenery that you can, you know, really Utah is about the only place where you can see that kind of scenery in the world and uh, just amazing place to go visit. So I'd say, man, make sure you go out and see one of those places. We're going to Bryce Canyon at the end of the month. I haven't been there yet. Really looking forward to me and the wife getting down there um, and seeing Bryce. So such cool places to visit here in Utah. I mean, uh, if people come to Utah and they don't do some of that, man, you're missing out. Well, Curry, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a, a great conversation. Hey, uh, thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, again, I will let you know. Uh, we're looking at ways down the road, but I'll let you know about the book here down the road. Thanks, Curry. Well, I, I think that's going to do it for our, our podcast tonight. Um, thanks again to our guest, uh, Curry. I just wrote his name down again. Curry <laughs> Keep an eye out for his book. When he does post it, we'll yeah. put out a link to that. Oh, and if you're, I mean, if you're interested in, I mean, it sounds like, especially recently, the, the UFO side of the world, I know we talked a, a tremendous amount about the, the paranormal investigations in terms of, of ghost hunting, but, uh. It sounds like he's got a lot of stuff on of the high-end researchers on the UFOs. And, and, of course, being in the Air Force, he probably has some pretty strong opinions, I would assume. Um, I, I did. I wrote a question down, and I get, didn't get a chance to get it in. But I'm curious because I know, you know, Jeremy and, and Jess, you guys are both very much into the paranormal. Um, so they call it ghost hunting. I know most paranormal investigators hate the term ghost hunting. But my question with ghost hunting is, what happens when you kill the ghost? Because, like, right, isn't hunting, like, isn't hunting part is? of hunting is killing it? Like, do right. you... You wouldn't hunt people. Do you field dress That's the... like paranormal you, investigators hate that term. Do you field dress the ghost and, like, take it home and cook it up and Taxidermy. make jerky? Yeah. Taxidermy. How do you cool. taxidermy a ghost? Like... Mad skills. What's, you know, the, what's the containment unit on Ghostbusters? The... XO something that they put them in. I don't remember, dude. That this is bullshit. Is what it is. <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to, like come across as an ass wife. I was trying to liven up the conversation a little bit when I asked about Slimer. Because <laughs> like, that's, that's like the other side of the world. That's like the, that's like the complete farce side of, of things where Slimer's like this, this weird fucking bullshit apparition. And then it gets his own cartoon. 
Oh, dude. I used to watch that good. cartoon. It was a good cartoon. <laughs> it was a good cartoon for sure. But, you know, I, I think, I, you know, of, of the paranormal in terms of, of ghosts and spirits and shit like that, uh, I think of that in terms of uh, apparitions, you know, ghostly forms, I would venture to say. People who have passed on. Yeah, potentially. I mean, there's there's... I don't know. Things happen. It's hard to deny. But also, I think at some level, this is me personally, I think, um, you know, spirits uh, is, you know, it's just a continuation of of people needing to believe there is something. Um, So, I, I don't know. I don't know who's to say there is or isn't. There's a lot of other shit that I would rather worry about, uh, and it's just not as intriguing to me as it is to people like you guys, and apparently our listeners, because our listeners love the stuff. Um, so the UFO stuff, though, it's fascinating. I, I have ne- I've never had any type of of interest or desire to research aliens and UFOs, but he is so passionate about it. Like it makes you want to read about it. My thing with UFOs is I absolutely believe. Well, first off, a UFO just means unidentified. Yeah, it just means something that's unidentified. So absolutely, there's there's no denying that UFOs are real thing. I believe that there is there is life outside of of Earth. I believe there is extraterrestrial life, and I think we're we would be remiss to believe that there wasn't intelligent, uh, sapient extraterrestrial life. I mean, fuck, we're starting to we're starting to identify that. Octopi, octopuses, octopuses. I don't know. Octopi. I think. Remember when clever perfect. octopus was here? They said you could say it both ways. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it always. Um, <laughs> but they are uh, they are thought to be sentient now. Like we thought we were the only sentient species on the planet, and now there's a lot of research and a lot of study with octopi that suggests that they, in fact, are sentient. That they have thought, not just instinctual, but they actually have. You know, uh, sapient thought. Like, that's sentient thought, not sapient Hail thought. Hail Hydra. But, I mean, to think that we are alone in the universe in, tor- in terms of sentient thought is, right. is in, uh, it's absurd. Well, and one of the things we talked about, not, not to bring up too much of it. Dude, but we have flat earthers. We talked about, we talked about probes. Well, isn't that the same thing we do? Don't we send probes to Mars? Don't we send probes? I mean, it kind of Sure, different, ours are a but, lot less sophisticated, but, but that's so, a certain possibility. So well, how do you know they're not, that they're not just as sophisticated? They just float around and we accidentally see them because nobody's manning them and something maybe malfunctioned. Yeah, I'm waiting for the rover to land. But just to say, it's not it's not unthinkable that that's the same thing. That no. it's an unmanned. Now abductions is just a whole nother fucking world of of wax, and it's that kind of stuff that really, like my level of interest in extraterrestrial life, stops as soon as I start hitting the wall of crazy, because for every one sincere, realistic researcher out there. Uh, especially in the world of aliens and, and, and extraterrestrial life, there are five million fucking crazies. Yeah, but that's how paranormal research is, too. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, there's, there, it, on, in both fields, I truly believe there's legitimate cases and legitimate evidence on both sides of the UFO and paranormal. But like you said, there is way more crazy wackos out there that that muddy the, the waters stuff that curry was talking yeah. about yeah well and it's and it's so it's so tough to distinguish and how do you take someone seriously like believing there's a ufo absolutely believing that they were abducted and probed and sent back to earth like 
Look, I think of it in terms of what our scientists do, right? We have lab rats. Those motherfucking things never get released back into the wild. Why? Because we fuck them up. And we realize, and most of them die before we ever get a chance to, and how many, there are, how many, how many people are, are missing and abducted that don't return? Right? You never hear about Susan someone. Hell. Well, you never really hear about someone. I mean, it's not, it's commonplace to hear about someone that was abducted and never came back. No, people that were abducted are the only ones that know they were abducted and always tell that. Now, it's not always the case, as, as, as he mentioned, but that's, I think, where it's, it becomes a lot harder to, to believe a lot of that stuff. And it's just, I don't know, it's weird to me to believe that they would take us up and experiment on us and send us back. And somehow, Somehow, never make contact with us in some sort of formal manner. I'm telling you, it's because they think that we're crazy. Oh, we're fucking crazy, for sure. Like, if they watch, they're watching us build nuclear bombs and fucking setting them off on our own species. Why the fuck would they come back? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why would they leave anything here? (laughs) So I find a lot of that World War II UFO stuff fascinating, meaning... The, the real cases from pilots during World War II. And so, so not so much the crazy stories, but the legitimate stories or like entire squadrons disappearing and then showing up again, like 700 miles off course, stuff like that. I find that really fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting stuff for sure. I mean, honestly, I think that aliens have just set up base in the Bermuda Triangle area and that's where all of their operations occur. Could be. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Um, but that that is going to do it uh, for us tonight. Um, if you like what you heard, um, thank you for sticking around for two hours. Uh, please share the episode with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and um, your dog and your cat and your alien and your Facebook friends who are probably none of those things and all of those things. Um, but uh, share the episode. That's what helps us more than anything. You can uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at TNU Podcast and the New Utah Podcast on Facebook. Uh, TheNewUtah.com is the website where you can go to read about the one things. Uh, I think we've probably covered every national park. I'm not 100% sure because I'm lazy and Jess writes all that shit. Um <laughs> Jess, have we covered all the national parks in Utah? There's a lot of parks, national and state. Right, and there's a lot in the parks. I always like the reasons why people pick them, yeah. though. I still have to venture down to Can- I've been at Moab many, many times, um, but I've never actually gone through Canyonlands and Arches officially. I gotta go to Moab. And so I need to I need to, to plan a trip for those. Probably not this year. It's a little busy this year. Um, can I tell you how glad, by the way, I didn't mention this before, but how glad I am that we're going to Vegas next week and not the week after that because starting the 29th if you don't know this by the way public service announcement uh, yeah starting the 29th of may uh and through like the next year basically um the three there's a three mile stretch of i-15 north and southbound in arizona over the virgin river uh where they're doing bridge work on next part (laughs) yeah on the virgin river bridges which means north and southbound traffic starting may 29th will be reduced to one lane there if is it's not already bad enough down there, there is a width restriction so those if you've not driven down there it's a really windy canyon um, the the roads are already fairly narrow and now to cut them to one lane um, they are create there's actually a vehicle restriction now so uh, any vehicle that's 10 feet wide or wider is not allowed to travel down that way they actually have to detour from Cedar City um, which is quite a distance away and it's or like you can a, just go through Wendover and go down through Nevada yeah it's it's uh like 
the detour is like a 250 some odd mile detour that you're having to take. Uh, all so when your around. avocados are five dollars a piece, you'll know why. My point is, uh, <laughs> my point is, I'm going down the week before that happens, <laughs> which is magical because it's a holiday weekend. First off, uh, but also because then I don't have to deal with the the same insane traffic with the one lane. Because next time I go down in October, I'm flying. <laughs> so. It might be our first official uh, vacation with no kids because Sean's working, and I don't know if Cassie will be working yet. And pretty so. sure she will. So yeah, I'm pretty sure she will. Well, that's gonna do it. Uh, join us next week for for more farm talk. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it's that time of year. We like talking about our farms, uh, our urban gardens. Our urban. Okay. You have an urban garden. Garden. Jeremy has an urban farm. Yeah, and Jess has a uh, a condo garden. Yep. I, I don't, that's I don't have place. anything. You people just splain in the dirt and I don't like adorable. it. You have me. Yeah, but you're not a garden. 